Hi, and welcome to the Bed Healer Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Mitzi Vargas, and today we are talking intuition. So what is intuition? Well, basically, is that knowledge that comes to you without a conscious um, understanding. So it, it is a feeling, it's a, a thought that comes into your mind, but it wasn't a logical uh, process where you arrived to that thought. In fact, oftentimes intuition has nothing to do with your preconceptions about a person or an animal. You have zero history with that person or zero history with that animal, and you still have this intuitive knowledge that comes to you from an extrasensory um, perception place. Um, and that's why they call it the sixth sense, intuition. Well, <clears throat> what does that have to do with pet healing? Well, it has to do a lot. Uh, I definitely rely on my intuition when I am treating a patient. And uh, it is something sometimes I cannot explain. I said, well, for this disease, I usually use this herb. And then as I'm going to say something, the, the thought in my head, it pops another name of a different herb. And then when I look that herb, uh, the, the herb information in my book up, is just exactly tailored to that particular situation. Now, how did that come to be? I mean, is it stored in the other parts of the brain and it's just transferred by a process that we're not aware of? I don't know. But intuition plays uh, a big part for all of you pet lovers out there uh, when it comes to knowing when your pet needs to come see the vet. Because you are in tune with your animal. Your <clears throat> body's uh, field it's merging constantly and exchanging information with the um, fields, of biofields of your pets. And so that's why the pet knows that they're coming to the vet before you even take the carrier out or you even spell it in front of your partner or person in the household. They just know they're going somewhere, something's up. They, um, they feel that they, uh, it's an intuition that they have to know what we're going to do. And oftentimes I feel like it communicates in feelings and anxiety and, and, you know, we, our bodies might even release certain smell when we have certain emotions in our bodies. And then the cats and the dogs have uh, such an acute sense of smell that they can smell those changes. And that's definitely um, a theory behind it. And the other theory, uh, like I said, is about the biofield which is a extension of our energy of our body and that contains information about our bodies and uh, how the cats and the dogs that are very close to us, uh, we can merge um, our information sometimes with close contact and with living with them for a long time. So why the topic today about intuition? Well, I was talking to my practice manager, Tracy, who has several, many, many pets, but very, uh, she's a strong uh, animal lover and a very great, uh, I mean, I would say great pet mom. She takes good care of them and she loves integrative medicine. And of course, we were talking about how she realized that her dog had a 
relapse on her gallbladder mucosal condition. And our gallbladder mucosal is a, uh, basically the gallbladder is supposed to store bile. It's supposed to be the garbage can for your liver. And um, when the garbage can gets inflammation or when the garbage is too thick to pass through, um, it forms a mucosal, a, a nasty, purulent, uh, thickened uh, bile that cannot move anywhere and causes a lot of pain and can rupture a gallbladder. So that awful condition is what, you know, my my manager's uh, pet has. And um, she knew that w- there was a, um, a relapse before, before any blood work. And two weeks before this uh, episode, her blood work was perfect. So why did she know about it? And I asked her, you know, how did you know that this was going to be that? Because there wasn't any fever, any other outward signs of the pain. And she said that um, it was because of the way that Pixie, her dog, was looking at her. It's like blinking very fast or trying to communicate something. And um, I did not discount or make fun of any of that because it, it, number one, she was accurate. It was something wrong with her. It was a, it, we caught it very early and we were able to take, to take care of it and get over it. Um, but I would never put in doubt your intuitive knowledge because I know it comes from a, a valid place. And so I have multiple instances where, um, especially cat owners come to me and they say, I do not know what's wrong with my cat, but something is very wrong. And I'm like, really? What is it eating? Yes. Is it um, urinating, defecating, sleeping? Doing, I mean, everything is seems right on the surface, but they say there's something very wrong. And I said, okay, why? Because they're not sleeping where they usually sleep. Let's say um, they're hiding. Or uh, when I come home, Every day they come greet me with the tail up and now the tail's down or they don't come to greet me or um, they are eating at a different time of the day or they are not interacting with me the usual way. They're either clingier or they're just um, avoiding me. So those things are valid changes of behavior Um Dogs and cats are usually very fond of schedules. And I know that because my poor Pogito, he's seven and a half, but if I'm half an hour late for his walk, he would just, uh, you know, he might go. He might have an accident. Um, And and because they're so used to the specific time of the day that they want to go out. But the same applies to eating. The same applies to interactions. They get used to a certain pattern of, be, of um, doing things. And so when there's a change to that pattern, it could be because the pet is not feeling their best. And then we need to take that and then go investigate. So uh, this this cat owner, uh, I'm not going to really say the name, but um, she came to me and said that, yes, so it usually comes with the tail up and it's, the tail's sideways or down or... Um, you know, is, is just not interacting as well. So we ran a, a blood work panel and discovered that uh, the thyroid was elevated. Um, and this panel was run um, 
I think it was three months prior, a, a more comprehensive panel had been sent to the lab and everything came back perfect. But when I look back, the thyroid levels were almost, uh, they were normal, but they were on the high normal. And then this time, three months later, it is high. So it, it was cooking, but we didn't see any outward signs and it was just a wellness blood work. And then in this time, the owner just says, there's something wrong with it. Um, and, and she couldn't even name it. It's just something. It sounds silly. No, it doesn't sound silly. Follow your intuition. And why is it that women, and I say this, I have scientific proof that women have more intuition than men. It's our superpower. <laughs> and that's what my advantage as a doctor is that I, I do rely on the intuition. Well, the, the intuition is actually uh, the use of the right brain. So you know how the left brain is the logical brain, um, you know, mathematical and logical and, and structured. Um, and then the right brain is the creative, um, the more artistic uh, side of it, the empathy, uh, emotional side, passion. All of that is mostly on the right brain, right? Well, there is a communication between the right and the left brain. It's uh, That part of the brain is called the corpus callosum. The corpus callosum is very thin in men and very, very thick and different in women. And the scientists have said that, uh, that because of that, women can actually make decisions based on both logic and emotion and also are in more in touch with um, you know, when it makes a decision, can utilize uh, the uh, right and the left brain very quickly. So it makes it in a snap decision, in a moment of time, they can make a snap decision and, and can usually use both parts of information from both parts of the brain. Well, intuition is not just in the brain. Intuition is also coming from your gut. You know how they say, you know, I have a gut feeling about this, well, it, it's a folkloric phrase, I guess, is is in the knowledge of multiple cultures and everything, that the gut is a way that you do you know something. Well, there is such thing as an enteric nervous system. So there's a lot of neurons that travel uh, from the brain to the gut that, you know, there's a, a lot of nerve uh, cells in the gut giving all sorts of information. Even the flora of your gut gives you information. You know, they, they can, cravings are often based on the gut flora sending signals to the brain. I want this, I want that. So they also are information that we get from the gut. And again, it's not a logical information. That, it's not a process that we can say, I thought A, then B, then C. It just came out of the answer E came instantly. And so not because it came instantly, you cannot discount it. I mean, again, um, these, these sensations are, uh, are triggered uh, are by uh, neurotransmitters that are fired up. Um, and these are all chemistry, guys, um, but it's also motion, right? So we're getting this information. We have to um, pay attention to it. Um, I wanted to check something um, real quick about the intuition, I've wanted to mention who told me about the corpus callosum. Actually, I was uh, reading in the Forbes magazine an article about intuition, and they it was really interesting. 
And they say uh, that women are more likely to um, integrate the hunches and the uh, hints about people and logic, you know, and logic. And when it comes to healing, that's extremely important because I am utilizing information that I'm sensing, uh, not just with my awareness and my consciousness right there, but from other subconscious um, hues and cues and, and hints that I'm getting from the pet and from the owner. And so sometimes I just um, just look at the pet and I just feel, and I have to say to the owner, I feel this and I feel that. And, and I use that word a lot. I feel that we should do this or I feel that the best course of action is to do this. And uh, I'm not using the word lightly. I do feel that in my gut. And I've learned to answer to that, you know, to or take it at least in consideration when I'm making a decision. And uh, oftentimes I'm right, I have to say. And uh, that therefore, if I use it for my diagnosing on a day-to-day basis, then I definitely take it into account when I'm taking history from the owners and we're talking about, um, you know, how the pet's doing and how it's responding to the medication or, you know, is there any changes in the environment that could have triggered, you know, the causes of disease or what we're seeing at that moment. And so it's a very interesting uh, give and take, you know, again, uh, you know, between me and the, the owners and between um, the pet and myself, you know. So there's a lot of communication. And some of that communication, like I said, is the sixth sense. So it's my superpower. <laughs> and uh, I fu- it's funny how they said, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, when I take blood and I usually don't miss uh, any time or I... I'm able to handle a very fractious or, um, you know, uh, hard to handle cat. Um, and I said, well, I just, uh, he, you know, the pet knows, um, knows me, knows my intention. I communicate my intention, um, that we're gonna go in peace and trying to do something. Um, but the cat in, in play uses their intuition to know, can I trust this human? And I use my intuition to know how to handle the cat. Oh, I think that this cat will behave good with this pillow, with this uh, towel and using Feliway versus I know this cat, if, if I put a cat muscle on it and cover the eyes, I can do everything. And again, I, I cannot tell you how I look at the cat or, you know, I spend five minutes with a cat and I can tell you what to do. Uh, you know, and, and it actually is a good uh, way of doing, handling the the visit, but it works. And so I trust it. I believe in it. And I, again, I, I always respect the pet owner's point of view and their information they give me, even if it comes from a subconscious source. Hip joints, uh, well, mainly the sacroiliac uh, joint, which is where your sacrum, which is a very 
um i think ignore part of the body for dogs and cats in western medicine uh, western veterinary medicine at least um and uh, the ilium uh the the wing of the ilium and the sacrum interact in vet school guys um i was thought that was a fused joint i swear to you it was in 1990 1994 that's where i went to vet school but at that time they didn't pay much attention to the um sacroiliac joint um they pay some attention to the lumbosacral joint which is the last lumbar to the sacrum l7 to s1 and uh with reason because lumbosacral disease is very common in older dogs um I am a German Shepherd lover, and I know that German Shepherds do get, you know, a lot of lumbosacral disease. But lumbosacral disease has, has it's a little bit more encompassing, and it has a lot more um, uh, destruction or, or, or bad effects than just talking about osteoarthritis on the hip joint, which is the coxofemoral joint, which is the head of the femur into the acetabulum, which is a socket, right? It's a ball and socket joint. So I've talked before about the ball and socket joint. I'm not going to talk too much about it because that one I treat with uh, body sore and other herbals. I treat using laser, cold laser to the area, a CC loop, which is an percutaneous electromagnetic field therapy, Magnet therapy, it has, works great for that. It's FDA appro- approved and clear for treatment of osteoarthritis in dogs, specifically in the hips that are, you know, just so common. There's other things like acupuncture. I can put um, some needles on bladder 54, which is the top of the trochanter, which is the fem- femoral bone. And I could do uh, gallbladder 29 and 30, which are the uh, edges of the acetabulum. And then I could also use uh, other classical points uh, that are related to the hip. So in other words, uh, I have plenty to treat those. What I'm talking about today is the stuff that Probably if you just do acupuncture and you don't do chiropractic care, you may be missing this. Um, Or if you have your pet have acupuncture without chiropractic, you may be uh, taking the long road home. And I'm just going to, you know, talk about this because the the, um, sacroiliac joint, it is not fused. It is very much alive. As a matter of fact... I damaged my sacroiliac joint one time doing acupuncture. The dog was rolling like gator rolling, and I moved, and I I took my um, sacroiliac joint out of place. And I tried acupuncture, and it helped. I tried colaser, and it helped. I tried painkillers, and it helped, but it didn't take it away. Uh, and it happened on a Friday. Monday morning, I was first one uh, walking in my chiropractic um uh, clinic that I go to and Dr. Briggs immediately diagnosed and immediately adjusted my sacroiliac joint. Oh my Lord, immediate relief, 100% cured in just what it took him, which is like 30 seconds to adjust it. And so that's one of the reasons that I went into learning spinal manipulation in pets, aka chiropractic care in pets. But of course, chiropractic is a... Um, 
is a protected term for human chiropractors. They don't want us to use them, and I'm okay with that. I'll use spinal manipulation. So the um, the sacroiliac joint, um, the ilium, which is the wing of the ilium, is part of the joint bone. Uh, they're usually angle about 20 degrees medial to lateral on the sagittal plane. And they can be restricted multiple ways, but the most common way is the ilium, the wing of the ilium being stuck dorsally. Um, and that's what we call um, posterior inferior um, uh, spinal uh, uh, manipulation. So... I will do a uh, PISI uh, or a uh, ventrally anterior and superiorly displaced one. So, so it can be stuck dorsally or it can be stuck ventrally. And so what do we have to do if it's stuck dorsally? Then we have to push it down. I mean, you can put needles around it. You can... Uh, do singing bowls, chakra alignment, uh, color lights, laser, whatever. But if it's stuck dorsally, the most logical resolution of the problem is to just boop, a very high velocity uh, movement thrust, very low force. So it's not about force, my friends. It's about velocity, but how fast you can quickly um try to uh, re-engage that and into the normal position. And so um, it's immediate. The relief is immediate. And I'm um, going to talk about it today because uh, this week I've found two of them that have come to me and they are chronically having problems. They're laying down. I mean, and they can't get up on very well on one side. Um some incontinence. There's a dog that had incontinence, all of a sudden developing incontinence. And when I look at it, it had a um, posterior inferiorly uh, displaced uh, ilium, which means uh, dorsally. And so it was struck dorsally. All I did was a quick adjustment. And then we definitely alleviated the problem with the, um, uh, with the um, incontinence. And so I could have gone with herbs for incontinence. I could have done acupuncture, laser, multiple things. But once you're trained as a spinal manipulator, you are really um, more in tune with how the joints should look, how the stance of the dog should be, how the gait is. So we're always watching and ana analyzing. And I might, you might be talking to me in the exam room and I'm just, oh, let the dog walk around. And I'm just looking. I'm just looking at the line, top line of the back. I'm looking at how they're carrying the weight. Is it even? Is it white stance? Is the gait normal? Uh, is it an amble? What, what kind of gait is it? And so... Once I realized that, then I do something called motion palpation, which is I actually touch each one of their joints in your, in the, your dog's body, or most of them at least, and run it through the range of motion and see if there's any kind of restriction and then go in. But most of the leg joints are kind of easy to tell. Oh, you try to flex it, it doesn't do it. You try to extend it, the animal tries to bite you. But the lumbosacral uh, joint and the um, 
sacroiliac joints are a little tricky. So sacroiliac, like I mentioned before, I'm looking at the angle and as compared to the spine, and I'm looking to see if there's any dis dissimilarity between the right and left side, and then go for it. Now, the lumbosacral space is super important because the lumbosacral could be narrow, that space, and it's, it can cause something called the cotoquina syndrome. Cotoquina is the end of the spine. And it's a, a frequent neurologic disorder in older dogs. And if you can really fix this, then you can actually increase the longevity of the seniors because one of the common uh, um, conditions with that lumbosacral stenosis is um, that they cannot hold the poop or the pee. And that is a quality of life measurement, right? If your dog cannot hold the pee or the poo, that's a quality of life measurement. So um, something that a lot of people cannot put with. And they think that, you know, the dogs or the cats have to be put to sleep. And what it is, is that they have lumbosacral stenosis. And that's affecting the sciatic nerve. And if any of you have ever had sciatica or know somebody have sciatica, they say it's very painful. And it's weak weakness. You can't control that leg. So it does affect the perineum, which is around the anus uh, and around the, the reproductive areas, the urinary bladder, and the urethral sphincter, So and also the anal sphincter, and the tail. So I see the tail. If the animal cannot lift the tail up or it hurts when you lift the tail up and the, hurt, the tail hurts, the animal yelps, we have some lumbosacral stenosis, la, la, the space between the lumbar vertebrae number seven and the sacrum number one, it's compromised. And um, it is affecting the seventh lumbar spinal nerve and the, um, you know, it, it which is a cold, cold on them. And it, it can cause pelvic lymparesis. So that leg might be dragged. They might have proprioceptive deficits and they cannot correct when you put the foot, the dorsum of the foot down. Uh, they, downwards, they cannot lift it up. That's definitely like a classic of um, paresis and classic of possibly lumbosacral stenosis. There is a place where I see cancer in there, infectious diseases in there. Um, prostate cancer could also uh, put pressure on that lumbosacral space uh, because they're competing for for. Um, for space, in one case, a kitty that I was treating uh, developed um, osteosarcoma of the vertebrae there and the lumbosacral space, and that's why they were having the cotoquina syndrome, which is just the loss. They don't know they're pooping or peeing. They're dragging some of the legs. They're not lifting the tail. And, you know, the tail for us is a measurement of happiness, right? And so when they can't even wag their tail or lift the tail, people start thinking, oh, my God, um, we are talking about quality of life. So the clinical signs are mostly, most of the time are gradual. Uh, I have had pets here that came diagnosed with possible, um, with possible uh, the, the degenerative myelopathy, which is a disease where the spine kind of like dies off. And uh, it actually was lumbosacral disease. And the first thing that I did was lift the tail up and the animal screamed. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't think you have um, DM, which is a good news because there's no cure for DM. There's only controlling of the symptoms. Uh, but they're definitely, um, 
there is for lumbosacral disease. We can manage it much better. Uh, and of course, uh, there are surgery, surgical procedures that you can do to open that space. Uh, and you can diagnose it using MRI, most likely, or computer tomography tomography, CT scans. Those are the ways uh, to do it. The, the plain radiographs can give you an idea, but they're not really that great. I personally use Digiterm. I use plain radiographs. I don't have an MRI. But what I do is I take plain radiographs and then I do Digiterm, which is uh, Digiterm is actually the thermal imaging camera. And if I have this heat and inflammation in the lumbosacral space, then I know what we're dealing with. And of course, my treatment is acupuncture. Acupuncture, 100% of the way, control of pain using both uh, multimodal approach using uh, laser, a CC loop, um, pharmaceuticals like gabapentin because gabapentin is good for neuropathic pain and uh, anti-inflammatories like meloxidil, uh, low, low, low amounts, but using definitely uh, hindquarter weakness or body sore formulas from Jingtang. Those are other things that I use for um, that management on lumbosacral disease, but acupuncture is, is magnificent for that. So I hope that you learned a little bit more about the hips and how wonderful everybody focuses on the coxofemoral joint, but the sacroiliac joint is and the lumbosacral joints are super important too. So we need to know the whole area is the, I call it the high rent district uh, for dogs, for seniors, because that's where most of the problems are. And most of the quality of life is affected by problems there. So I hope you learned something. If you did, please share it with your friends, your pet lover friends, and tell them about the podcast. Tell them we have a website and we have a Facebook. And please just join us and keep supporting us. We appreciate it. And until then, take care. And remember that from now on, we're going to be uh, downloading every Friday a brand new episodes. So you can be on the lookout for them. Uh, in the meantime, visit our Facebook page, the Pet Healer Podcast page. Uh, we also have a website, thepethealerpodcast.com. And uh, it, we are in most platforms, so you can uh, enjoy our topics. Thank you, and until next time, take care. Well, thanks so much for listening, guys. And uh, information about this episode came from my book, Alvet, the Revolutionary Pet Care and Longevity Solution, available in Amazon at our clinic and soon to be an audiobook. So look forward to that. And this episode was sponsored by my practice, Orchid Springs Animal Hospital. And our website is www.osahvsinvictorets.com. Osavets.com. There's a lot of information out there if you want some more information on integrative pet healing. And our Pet Healer podcast is going to be available in all platforms. So we're looking forward to seeing you again.